0: Hey, Green Rush Nation producer Shea Gunther here. We're taking this week off from publishing our regular schedule and instead are featuring an episode of my podcast, Marijuana Today. In this episode, our three main hosts, Chris Crane, Heather Sullivan, and Ben Larson, dive into the results of the special Senate runoff elections in Georgia and talk about what it could mean for illegal cannabis for the Democrats to be in control of the full Congress. We'll be back with a regular episode of the Green Rush next week. Be well, everyone. Now on to episode 339 of Marijuana Today, titled The Georgia On Our Minds.
1: Hello. Welcome to episode 339 of Marijuana Today. I'm your host, Ben Larson, and we're recording Friday, January 28th, 2021. Happy New Year, Marijuana Nation. Uh, We made it through week one of the Jumanji sequel. My goodness. uh, To all of you cute couples sending out those 2020 done uh, holiday cards first. Thank you. Very sweet. Very cute. Uh, But I hope you didn't unstrap your seatbelt. Uh, We almost had it. Nearly a full week off from the craziness of 2020. uh, Before the dial got jacked back up to 11. But you know what? It makes for some great news. Am I right? (laughs) Sorry, I I don't mean to make light of uh, this week's crazy events, but um, it's just crazy. Uh, With what some have labeled an attempted coup d'etat a sorry attempt at that indeed what is, what was, um, or in the very least extreme civil unrest with white power, white privilege and the demise of our democracy, as we know it on full display. Um, Oh, and with COVID raging more so than ever and the U S experiencing over 4,000 deaths in a single day this week, it's safe to say that our battle for sanity and survival rages on and the need for everyone to just smoke a little weed or consume an infused beverage is needed more so than ever. Luckily, as you probably know, we made some great strides this week towards that end. Georgia, Georgia, Stacey Abrams carried us through. Don't worry, I'm not going to quit my day job. But Georgia, holy shit, Uh, I told you last month uh, that I was just gonna keep with my pessimistic predictions in the hopes uh, that I'd I'd keep up the streak of being wrong. And boy, uh, have I never been happier to be wrong. We did it. We we flipped the Senate. Unbelievable, I mean, that means if all this sticks and, and we make it through January 20th unscathed, we will have at least two years of democratic control. Uh, two years without the evil turtle, Mitch McConnell, uh, who, to his credit, gave a rather eloquent speech in defiance of Donald Trump about preserving our democracy, even if he did try to throw the Democrats under the bus in doing so. Uh, two years without Mitch blocking cannabis reform measures from hitting the Senate floor, which no matter which way you vote, if you're listening to this show, Marijuana Today, it's great news. It's time to get to work, Marijuana Nation. Marijuana Nation. We'll be talking about all of that and more when we get serious about marijuana business and politics. And because I'd hate to go any further without the support of some of the smartest people in the industry and movement, I'm excited to introduce our guests who frankly need no introduction. That's right. Marijuana nation today, you get an all host panel uh, to discuss these momentous events and everything we have to look forward to in 2021 and beyond. First up. She started hosting right around the same time as me late last year, uh, which there's a certain camaraderie around that. She's the licensing manager for Cureleaf, the exclusive MSO partner for this show, uh, though her thoughts expressed on the show are her own, as she will tell you when she hosts uh, my friend, Miss Heather Sullivan.
2: Hey, Heather. Hello, Ben. I am thrilled to be back here. It feels like it's been a hot minute since I've had the opportunity to spend some time with you and our other guest, and I cannot wait to get started.
1: (laughs) That it has, and uh, happy new year to you. Super excited to be here with you. And next up, the man who all us hosts strive to be one day, the president of Forefront Ventures, the host with the golden hello, Mr. Chris Crane. Hello,
3: hello, <laughs> all
2: right. welcome to you do that so easily, <laughs> it's just oh. natural,
3: it's years, just natural, years, <laughs> years of watching Seinfeld, we'll, uh, we'll do that, I'll, I'll give all the credit, all the credit goes to Jerry, yeah, yeah, well, I, I'll give you the credit for having
1: Shay text me every night about my hello strategy, <laughs>
3: <laughs> happy 2021, you guys, i also had those, <laughs> happy 2021, um, it's been it's been it's been at least a year already right of 2021
1: it it certainly feels like it um but it's truly an honor to to be ringing in the new year uh with some great news uh, amid all the chaos um i i did have a chance to listen to everyone uh reflecting on 2020 uh in last week's episode and it it was so pure (laughs) It was like there was a a relaxation in your voices. There was this hope that there would be some normalcy to to 2021. And then we really got started this week. Uh, What a slow news week it's been, right? (laughs) I mean, like, where where should we start? Um, Well, let's start with Georgia, I guess. Um, I'm sure you all were watching this nail biter. Uh, Two come from behind the win or two come from behind wins uh, by the slimmest of margins to place two new Democrats in the Senate, essentially tying the headcount and giving the tiebreaker vote to Kamala Harris. Uh, The pastor, uh, Raphael Warnock, 50.9 percent over Kelly Loeffler, uh, 49.1 percent. Uh, and the young gun, uh, John Ossoff, winning with 50.5% over David Perdue's 49.5%. Um, though I guess it wasn't too slim, as both exceeded the minimum margin uh, that would have necess- necessitated a recount. Um, again, I this is just a feat that I had all but completely written off as even being possible. Um, so before we dig into the nitty-gritty of, of the potential, like, Like, how are you guys feeling? What what were you thinking about watching this before all hell broke loose at the Capitol? Uh,
3: Chris, how about you? Well, I mean, to be fair, I didn't, I didn't think this was a realistic outcome. Um, And to, you know, to, to, to criticize myself. I mean, I, I even wrote a Forbes column on the day after the election, um, talking about the, what the potential for marijuana reform was in, in, in a Biden administration with a Mitch McConnell GOP controlled Senate. Um, you know, once, once, once the original election was over and we knew that democratic control of the Senate was going to come down to winning two special elections in Georgia on the same day, I basically wrote it off as an impossibility and wrote a column dismissing it and talking about what life was going to be like under the new normal of a Biden administration and a GOP Senate. Um, So I was wrong and glad to be wrong. Um, I actually, um, you know, shameless plug alert, I had uh, I had actually written a column on Election Day uh, laying out. The possibilities for reform under a unified democratic government um, and then rewrote the column the next morning when it looked like that wasn't <laughs> what we were going to be seeing. And so I republished the original column that I wrote on Election Day just this week. Um, so folks are interested in going more in depth on on what I think the possibilities are. You can read that there. Um, so I was stunned. Um, you know, I tend to follow all the the sort of the politics nerds on election night. Uh, you know, the, the you know the, I, I refresh the 538 uh, uh, live blog as, as frequently as I can. I follow Nate Cohn, um, and uh, and the New York Times Upshot needle um, was which on election night was was really good at pointing to where the elections were going to wind up really early on. Um, and it was pretty early in the night that those needles were pointing to two Democratic victories. Um, yeah. And that was and when was I started. Like re- re- it
1: was it was almost. Almost like directly north. It was like one percent in the in the it was direction of the Democrats, It was close, but
3: they were saying but they were saying was saying early on that ossoff was gonna win by about 0. 0.7 or 0.8%, which is right around where he wound up. Um so that was when I started getting optimistic, um, but uh but but didn't want to get too you know too too excited until you know much later in the evening. Um and so look, the the reality is this is a different world now. Uh, the next two years with a Biden administration, as as much as Biden has sucked on this issue for most of his career, um, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris has been has been great on this, at least recently. Uh, the Democratic Party leadership, by and large, has been um, really good on this issue. Schumer has said this will be a priority issue for him, even when he thought he was going to be a minority leader. Um, so here's the reality: we've got two years to get substantive cannabis reform done at the federal level that means legalization that means descheduling if we end up with after these two years with just safe banking and 280e reform i'm going to be really disappointed and really pissed off um right like because this is our window We've never before had an opportunity to legalize cannabis at the federal level. Uh, The last time the Democrats controlled uh, all of government, 2008 to 2010, they were not there. The party was not there. Pelosi was theoretically there, but most Democrats weren't. Obama wasn't there. It's a different world now. The Democratic Party has changed a lot in the last 12 years, and they now have control of of, of the federal government once again. And we have to operate under the assumption that this is only going to last for two years. Right. Because they've got the slimmest of majorities in both houses. They don't even have a majority in the Senate. It's it's the vice president that'll 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 break that'll break the ties. Um, And the the the, the incumbent president's party almost always loses seats in a midterm election year. Now, I know the 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 map is actually quite good for the Democrats in the Senate. Uh, coming up in two years. But even so, uh, you know you have to assume they're going to lose the House. There's a decent chance they're going to lose the Senate. We may be, we're, we're almost certainly going to be looking at the Republicans controlling one branch of government um, starting in 2023. So we have to get this done now. And everybody interested in this issue, in the movement, in the industry, needs to put all the pressure in the world they can on Democratic leadership to, to keep their promises and to get this done. Because if it doesn't happen in these two years, it could be another 12 to 14 years before we have this opportunity again.
1: Right. Right. So no pressure. No pressure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Heather,
1: tell me about the yes. emotional roller coaster of of your week. Take us through it.
2: <laughs> well, I absolutely had convinced myself there was no way that Chuck Schumer was going to be leading the Senate. Uh the idea of it was almost laughable to me at, at the point that I was at. And I'd actually even uh, convinced myself that maybe having uh, some Republican uh, influence in there might actually um, be beneficial for... Uh, as we're debating different things. Uh, so I had really I had really committed to, uh, you know, to another, <laughs> You're already another looking couple at the of years silver
1: lining. <laughs> yeah
2: lining. I was I was already committed to another few years of Mitch McConnell. Um, so imagine my surprise uh, when I was driving home on uh, on Tuesday night and you know, my personal favorite, uh, pundit, uh, this is probably going to be, uh, I know Chris Crane isn't going to like this one, but I'm a big Andrew Cuomo fan. (laughs) 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 And, uh, I know, I know. Come on now. Uh, I, he, you know, he's, I started feeling it. I really started feeling it. It was very exciting to me. And I'll be honest with you. Um, it wasn't until I got up Wednesday morning that I realized uh, how important this was actually! How important this moment in time was for our industry. Yeah. How much absolute potential we now have in the next two years. Um, I know folks that I'm surrounded with started working right away, uh, or continued work, I should say, with uh, a lot more excitement. Uh, Just, you know, kind of the day-to-day, there's a new feeling. Uh, I feel it. I hope you guys feel it. Um, But it just really, you know, it, it kind of feels like one of those years when you when you really win and all you know all of a sudden it's a year that we've really won now let's get to work you know i can't i can't agree with chris more when it comes to we need to get started we need to get started now there are a lot of things going on in our country that need to you know that need the democrats focus um, but we cannot let up Uh, In our advocacy, in frankly, our fundraising, we've got to really come to the table. Now is the time. Uh, So that's, that's my first soapbox for the day.
1: Yeah, I, (laughs) I don't think it's actually set in for me yet. You know, I've, I've been, you know, you mentioned the business side, I've been watching the stock surge. Um, even some of the lower performing Woo. ones, you know, jumping up 25% in some cases, if
3: even more 60%, whatever, um, Every, everybody was up. Like, everyone was even, even the ones that have yeah. been the doldrums all year that haven't rebounded. Everybody was up at least, at least 7%, 10% on that first
2: day. I actually have a question for you too about that because I was looking at the same thing and I found, and you may or may not be able to answer this, but. Canadian stocks, so not U.S. operators, actual Canadian operators, they saw bigger jumps mm-hmm. than the, you know, uh, uh, by quite a bit. You know, we, we saw an 11%, I, a 15%. I wrote some of this down. Canopy went up 11.5%. Um, Kronos went up 15%. Whereas uh, U.S.-based, even though they're trading on the Canadian stock exchange, you know, we saw more around the 8% uh Seven to eight percent range. What do you think the deal is with that? How how does this happen? Where am I going wrong?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It 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 sounds all very similar to actually what was happening around the time of the election back in November uh, when when Biden won. Uh, we saw the Canadian stock surge much more than the U.S. stock, so it seemed seemingly very similar to that. Although at, at this point in time, um, you know. Canada hasn't been doing super well. So hopefully the companies with all the capital, um, you know, they're at least diversifying their strategy and looking at the U S and, and finding ways to get in. And we, and we've seen that we've seen, uh, canopy growth, uh, finding a way to operate, um, in the various legal States in, in, in the U S or, or finding partners in which to do so. Uh, we see brands coming down, uh, and, and finding ways to formulate in the U S. So, uh, not entirely surprising, but yeah, a little misdirected if you ask me. What about you, Chris? Uh, any, any perspective well, from your side?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it's this is purely speculative, but I, I think for, I mean, first of all, I should say that it wasn't really uniform. Um, there were U.S. stocks that were up just as much as some of the Canadian stocks. Um, our, our stock at forefront was up, I think, fifteen percent on the day, um, on the on, on that day. But we were also starting from a much lower standpoint than um, you know than some of the the biggest players in the in the MSO space in the U.S. Um, so it wasn't uniform, but I I do think and this is just speculating. I think the reason that the Canadian stocks were up so much is the the anticipation that they're going to be able to enter the U S markets, right? I mean, there's no reason Mm -hmm. otherwise why Canadians would have seen a boost other than, you know, this was a sign that the markets are now thinking, okay, now these Canadian players are all going to soon be in the United States. Um, and, uh, and 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 that's I, I think that's really it. It's, it, you know, Canopy, as, as you mentioned, Ben, has been kind of making plays to try and get into the U.S. market. Um, you know, they've got that deal with Acreage that, you know, at some point, theoretically, you know, they're going to own Acreage as part of this, uh, you know, this 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 Canopy uh, Constellation brand, uh, you know, company. Um, so I think it was just, I think the Canadian, uh, particularly the Canadian investor market was just excited about the prospect that the Canadian companies are finally going to have access to the largest cannabis market and largest market in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's uh, it, you know,
1: from a, a capital standpoint and, and Heather, you mentioned fundraising and, and, and elements like that. It's again, I, I just, it hasn't sunk in for me, like how momentous this is because I, and, and I guess it's from being an operator in the space, I've calibrated myself to not getting super excited for good news, always like trying to figure out how many other shoes can drop. <laughs> and like, you know, just, uh, I, I guess it's kind of a stoic approach. And I'm like, is this a time where I actually get to be truly excited? Like, are there, are there things we still have to be very cautious about, you know, besides a, a coup, uh, at the nation and, and the president getting overthrown? <laughs> um, I mean, Chris, how excited, are the folks at forefront right now as, as they're kind of digesting this news uh, from Georgia?
3: I think everybody's thrilled. Um, and, and how could you not be? I mean, this is like this is monumentous news. If you're in the cannabis industry, you've got to be excited about this, right? If you're interested in cannabis, you got to be excited about this. Um, for all the reasons that we talked about, this is this is our opportunity to get serious federal reform done. Um, you know, there's a reason why everybody's stock prices went up. It's because the market realizes that change is coming, um, or or at least the real prospect of change is coming. And that's going to open up all new avenues of investment and business opportunities, um, for the industry. I mean, look, like I said earlier, the, the worst case scenario for us right now is that we get safe banking passed, uh, and that if we were looking at a republican controlled senate that was probably our best case scenario so we've gone from you know we've gone from our best case scenario becoming our worst and even that safe banking would do a ton for the industry um and we probably get more than that right i'm not convinced we're going to get full legalization or, 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 or descheduling. Um, but I think there's a real chance that we do. Um, I think there's going to be a real push for it. Um, and I mean, if that happens, the sky's the limit. I mean, we're looking right now, you're looking at, at, at valuations of some of these cannabis companies that are still really small compared to where they could go when, you know, when the full United States opens up to the cannabis industry. I mean, we're still living in an environment where it's only legal in like something like fifteen states um, with a bunch of other you know limited medical markets around the country. There is still an enormous amount of room to grow. And so I, I think the exuberance is justified. Um, and, uh, and I think for the publicly traded companies in particular, right, they, they, they had a good week and I think it was, it was justified. It wasn't just crazy speculation. Um, and so I think anybody involved in this from, the, you know, from a movement activist to an industry executive to anybody who just cares about this has a lot of reason to be excited right now, uh, way more so than they did you know, just on, on, you know, on Tuesday morning. Yeah, well, it's, an interesting aspect. You, you, you think about it from
1: an, an advocacy standpoint. And of course, this is huge. This like changes everything. Um, and there's some major uh, headway that can be made in the next two years, in the very least. Um, I, I think there's a nuance that we should just talk about really quick uh, for those of us that are, are in the business of cannabis, because when you're in the business, you're also on the advocacy side, you're on the political side, it's your entire life. And, 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 and when I say I haven't digested it, I'm like, I'm just not used to being this optimistic. And I've, I've, you know, I talked about that at the beginning and I just made a, a point of uh, predicting the most pessimistic outlook and, and that, that worst case scenario or the best case scenario uh, under a Republican Senate you know, it was like, okay, we're going to make this work. We're going to run our business and and do this. And we're going to keep fighting. Um, but to have something so quickly and so unexpectedly change, uh, it takes a while for just like to adopt this, like optimism. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, Heather, like you, 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 you certainly know this, like you, you're working and advocating all at the same time. Like uh, are you, are your dreams filled with uh, fairies and buttercups and all that kind of stuff?
2: <laughs> uh, no, they're not. And it's not because I'm not thrilled about this. Uh, it's not, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened over the last couple of months from a political perspective that, that give me a lot of hope in what's coming in the not too distant at this point future. That being said, and I think Ben, you mentioned it earlier today. I, I also think that I almost worry sometimes about going too quickly. Can we, as an industry, you know, Chris is, I almost start having heart palpitations when Chris says, you know, in two years we could have federal legalization because that's not the way that I ever thought about it before. Uh, Radical incrementalism, (laughs) you know, Betty Aldworth, she's my jam. I think that that, still will come into play here um i think that it's much more likely that we're going to see piecemeal legislation getting passed uh particularly in the short term and when i say short term i say this particular this session you know i think it's the 117th session of congress um i I, you know i can see a few things possibly happening uh safe banking that's a that's a great example of something that i think that's almost at this point a no-brainer um it's a it's an easy win, um, and it and it's written. And I don't think that there's going to be a lot of rewriting when it comes to that aspect of it. Um, but I, then I look at things like the Moore Act. Then I look at things like the States Act, um, and I see you know there's probably you know there's probably going to be some jockeying in some positioning, uh, particularly where we have new committee chairmen coming, you know, chairmen coming in, uh, the changing of the strategy. I oftentimes feel that I should have been in Washington, um, (laughs) that 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 that, you know, we all have life paths that we go through. And I ended up in little old Maine. But there is another life path for me that was, you know, in the halls of justice in some way, Uh, maybe not the way that it happened this week. But (laughs) I was going to
1: say that that path is pretty easy these days.
2: (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not for me. But you know, I would love to have a seat at the table right now. Uh, what is going to be, ha- the discussions that are gonna be happening now get me so excited. It's like when advocates sit around late at night after not sleeping and working and, and frankly failing a lot, now we're gonna be able to have those conversations. It's no longer like a, oh, if we had it our way, it's more of a, how do we get it to be our way? And I'm curious to see what happens in the industry as well. As things start to get better for us, do we start infighting? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess I'm reflecting a lot on what's going on nationally and how you know our industry might follow behind. So I'm optimistic. Don't get me wrong. This girl is very, very happy, um, but I do see a lot of work ahead uh, and the things that our uh, go- our government needs to deal with, COVID. You know, healthcare, tax reform, criminal justice, all of these have pieces that can either be helped through cannabis or need to be reformed or the cannabis industry needs reformed. So I feel like we're going to be involved in everything. And I'm really, really excited about that.
3: Well, I I, I will add to that, though. I think I I think there is going to be a schism in the industry. And one thing that I'm going to be looking out for, because it's something that I've heard um, I've heard in the industry I've heard it from you know particularly particularly from newer arrivals to the industry right folks who have just gotten into this because it was a business opportunity and and look and i and I've never been one of those folks who say who who's who said you know if you're just in it for because it's a business opportunity then I don't want you here right and there's definitely advocates that feel that way um I think we're better off because we have more you know more people with with political access with political power with money um you know who are in this because it's an industry so I'm you know i, I this is not to be you know, critical of anybody that's in this for the money. Um, but what 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 worries me a little bit is that you're going to have some folks who are you know, purely profit driven, um, who are going to take the position that legalization is too much too soon, and that we're better off with the current you know, we're, we're, we're better off with the current system of state by state uh, legalization because this keeps out the, you know, the giant corporate players who can come in and eat us all alive. This allows us to to maintain our market share and really grow. And, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, rather see something like the States Act for now. And, uh, and, and, and we'll, we'll wait on, you know, we, we, we could use another five to 10 years before we get federal legalization. Like I want to hold those people's feet to the fire. Uh, when I start hearing that stuff, and I think it's incumbent on 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 all of us to speak out when we hear that from folks in the industry, because there's a real cost to that. Um, And that is in the hundreds of thousands of people who are arrested, who face criminal consequences, whose lives are upended, who lose access to federal aid and financial aid and housing and can't find good jobs because of a a, a cannabis conviction. The majority of the country still lives in places where cannabis is illegal um, and where there are serious consequences or very real consequences um, for getting busted or caught with cannabis. And I just can't abide by this notion that well this would be better for us for business so let's not push for too much too soon um, when the reality is if that's the case tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of peoples of lives, people's li- real people's lives are going to suffer because of it we need to be able to deal with what comes as an industry and the reality is like look we get federal legalization it's going to be good for all of us like we're, we're big enough at this point that those the big corporate players decide to come in, the 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 you know the owners of some of the big MSOs I and mean, you're all gonna get really rich. Like you might get bought out sooner than you would than you than you expected. And it might not be the, you know, the 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 multiple that you would hope for five years from now, but you're gonna get really, really rich. And in the meantime, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people aren't gonna go to jail, get arrested, and have their lives upended. So like let's take that cannabis money that we've all been making or that some you know that, that some have been making over the past few years and let's put it into ensuring that we actually end prohibition once and for all, because that's really when it comes down to it, what this is all about.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You get, I mean, you guys bring up a lot of good points. There's, there's, there's the, the exuberance that that we need to, uh, quell. Right. And and there's going to be a lot of it. And we've seen it all before. We've seen what happens when people come in just excited to make money because they think it's that much closer to legalization. And then they, like I said, start creating all these competing interests and then you have infighting and then it slows down the progress, uh, that Chris has identified, like needs to be made in the next two years. And there's, there's going to a- be
3: enough. And I should say like, there's going to be enough infighting as it is. Like, remember like sausage making is, is messy. Um, and you're already going to have infighting in the democratic party, which actually worries me from a, from a legislative standpoint, um, that, you know, the, the, that, that, you, you, you're going to have Democrats that want something that, that uh, conservative Democrats that want something like the States act. Um, you're going to want, you're going to have some that say, well, let's get safe banking done quickly because that's the low hanging fruit. And then others, particularly, you know, more progressives or, and, and some of the folks like in the black caucus are going to say, no, banking doesn't do anything to address equity. We need to do something bigger and we'll just include banking in it. Um, and even then, I mean, I would look at, you know, look at what happens in New Jersey Where, you know, Governor Phil Murphy campaigned on legalization, uh, you know, after eight years of stonewalling by by Chris Christie, got into power with Democratic majorities in both houses and a Democratic governor who all supported this issue, and they couldn't get it done because they couldn't agree on the details on things like how you, you know, how how you address things like equity and and restorative justice, um, right, how you address things like licensing, Um, and these are, these are details that, the Democratic caucus in Congress has not really had to deal with yet because it was never a political reality that this was going to get passed through both houses and signed by the president. So the Moore Act was the best that we had, um, but I don't think the Moore Act is going to be the bill that ultimately passes through both chambers. I do think, though, that the More Act is going to be the foundation on which the final bill is based. Um, but there's going to be a lot of negotiating, a lot of horse trading, um, and a lot of trying to get, you know, the the, the Connor Lamb, you know, cons- sort of moderate to conservative Democrats on board with the, you know, the AOC and Squad, uh, you know, hyper progressive Democrats all on board with the same with the same piece of legislation that can pass a Democratic House with a six, I think it's a six to eight member majority. So like, this is gonna be difficult enough as it is. We as an industry can't contribute to that challenge by infighting amongst ourselves.
2: That's a great point, Chris. You know, one of the things I was thinking as you were saying that, I wanna encourage our listeners, like this is, if you haven't been, paying attention Uh, if you haven't gone and done something like a lobby days like i just realized as you were talking if we get to have lobby days again it's going to be totally different going and doing you know ncia lobby days i'm like excited like i've always been in the time frames doing that where uh I mean, not as not certainly as bad as it has been for you historically, but where it's hard to get a foot in the door and you're really just trying to move the needle a tiny bit. Every every conversation, you know, I always say, like, I want them to know that I'm a mom from Maine that volunteers for her community. Now we get to have real conversations with the people in power. And I'm super excited about that.
3: Oh, it's going to be great. Lobby days this year is going to be awesome. Like we're just, It's to be able to go in and not just talk about banking and 280E, but actually be able to like legitimately go in and talk about what federal legalization should look like. Like, that's really exciting stuff.
2: Social equity, uh, criminal justice reform. Like we get to talk about the things that we oftentimes had to underplay when we were pushing forward at that that congressional level. Huh? Yeah. Ooh. See, another feel good moment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. All right, folks. Uh, We are excited. Uh, There's a lot to accomplish, uh, but we need to make sure we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. So we will start to tackle that when when we get back. We're going to take a quick break to allow ourselves to breathe, (laughs) uh, to allow you to digest and and hear a quick word from Shay and one of our sponsors who make all of this possible.
0: This week, we're sponsored by our friends over at CureLeaf, Marijuana Today's exclusive multi state cannabis operator sponsor, with 93 local dispensaries, 22 cultivation sites, and 30 processing facilities serving up more than 350,000 registered patients and customers. CureLeaf is proud to be a supporter of the Veterans Cannabis Project, which is working to expand medical marijuana access to military veteran patients. Right now, the Veterans Cannabis Project is collecting signatures of support on a petition asking political leaders to provide military veterans with access to safe and legal medical cannabis. You can and should sign that petition over at vetscp.org, spelled V-E-T-S-C-P dot And of course, while you're over there, you should learn more about the mission of the Veterans Cannabis Project, as well as what you can do to help further their work work big thanks to everyone over at the veterans cannabis project for their energy and activism and thanks to everyone at curaleaf for helping support that very worthy organization as well as the podcast publishing we do here at mj today media you can find curaleaf over at their website at curaleaf.com
1: Welcome back, folks. Uh, we're just getting going, getting amped up. We had to take a little bit of a break to calm down a little bit. Our heart rates are well above 80 beats per minute. Oh, look at that. I think 88. Um, <laughs> I think I'm excited now. I, <laughs> Chris, Chris, when you said our best case scenario has, has become our worst case scenario, that just completely unlocked my mind and it was just like, these things that I've been hoping for as a business owner, uh, f- safe banking alone uh, can dramatically improve the efficiency of our business. It could allow us to be who we want to be, work with third party providers uh, openly and freely, unless they have something moralistically against the cannabis industry still, uh, which would be crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I like we, it being a new year i'm sure a lot of business owners were doing strategic planning around like what is our strategy for 2021 how many people wrote plans like this is what we're going to do in 2021 with the assumed landscape that that we're entering and and of course things take time to get pushed through but now it's like i'm already going back and opening the files and like searching through them and like what does life look like if if we get to be open about what we do on our websites and and, you know, use third party services and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's really exciting.
2: Look, I think that, I think we just heard that Twitter, uh, banned Trump. Is it Twitter that banned Trump? Yeah. As mm-hmm. we've been, as we've been recording
3: this Twitter, Twitter permanent yep. permanently banned Donald Trump's account. Yeah.
1: So
2: think about, we live in a world now where Twitter has permanently banned Trump and there's a chance that our businesses won't be restricted when we are on Twitter Instagram, Facebook uh, that we might actually be able to say uh, pr- we might actually be able to educate and market to consumers just like any other business yeah it's huge yeah, the
3: cannabis industry cannabis industry <laughs> could can be on Twitter with the president of the United States can't how about that yeah
1: <laughs> quick sidebar on Twitter Jack uh, every time you search marijuana still it warns you about the dangers of addiction to marijuana and refers you to resources of how do you can go break your addiction. Uh, still highly offended, still not tweeting, fix it. Um, anyhow. All right. So we have, we've seen a lot of the efforts. A a lot of it was, you know, posturing and, and, you know, we knew things were going to get struck down in the Senate or never reach the floor. Um, We've seen the SAFE Act, the MORE Act, the States Act, you know, tactically, what can we expect the next steps to be or, or what conversations need to be had uh, before some of these efforts push forward? I, I, everyone, there's going to be so much excitement and so much energy and, and, and Heather talking about lobby days. is like, where do we start? <laughs> How do we come together? So it's not just like, you know, a bum rush to like try to like push through anything and everything.
2: I know for me, the first thing I recommend our listeners to do, if you haven't done so already, is to make sure that you encourage your legislators to um, be part of the cannabis caucus. Uh, That is a great way for them to get information about cannabis if they aren't, you know, if if they're in a state that maybe has just now recently switched from Republican to Democrat and might need a little more information about um, might want representation around cannabis in the Senate. I think is uh, the Cannabis Caucus, that's both houses, correct? I think it's
3: just in the House.
2: Just in the House. Yeah, I think it's just in the uh, House. So encourage encourage your rec- representatives to join the Cannabis Caucus. Uh, I believe that Normal actually has a real easy way for you to do that. You can go onto their website and um, enter in your address, and it will make sure that a uh, form letter that you can uh, make changes to goes to your representatives. Uh, I highly encourage folks to do that. That's something that we all can do in the industry or not in the industry. Um, it's time for us to all take some small actions um, and then which build into bigger actions where it matters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was so Chris, I, I read your Forbes article. It was great. Uh, even if it was written two months ago, <laughs> uh, <laughs> very appropriate. Thank you. Um, but like, so we just saw the Moore Act, and we we just saw it successfully go through the House, never even hit the Senate. Is like, is that a natural like jumping off point? Like, what what's our chances of seeing the Moore Act again?
3: Ah, uh, so I mean, as I was saying before, I I think it I think it is the jumping off point. Um, I, I don't think that. The something like the states act has a chance of passing the Democratic-controlled House, um, and I don't think leadership would call it for a vote because it does nothing to address equity. Um, and the you know the Congressional Black Caucus in particular is so much better informed on this issue um, than they were the last time that Democrats controlled uh, controlled the government. Right? They understand this the details of this issue to a point where they're simply not going to. Uh, get behind any bill that doesn't deal a comprehensive bill, at least that doesn't deal with, with, with equity um, and restorative justice. So I think the more act is the starting point. But as I, but as I said earlier, I I also think it's, it it, it is just the starting point. Like I don't think that we're going to see the more act as it's currently written, get passed through the house and the Senate next year, again, because this was not, the more act was not written to pass. Right. It, was, mm-hmm. it was introduced knowing that the best case scenario was it could pass through a Democratic-controlled House. And I think the House passed it because they wanted to show this is the base level of what legalization looks like or acceptable legalization looks like to House leadership. Um, so my guess is that they use the Moore Act as the basis to craft an even more comprehensive bill. Um, that's going to require um, you know thinking more deeply about things like you know taxes and taxation rates, um, making concessions to people on both the right and the left side of the Democratic Party. Um, maybe even some concessions that'll bring in some you know some 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 of the better Republicans on this issue. You know, there's Republicans out there like you know somebody like Matt Gates, who you know while you know seemingly supportive of the insurrection in Congress, um, <laughs> has actually been quite good on legalization but doesn't like the equity stuff. Um, he made that very clear, even though he voted for the MORE Act last time. He said he, he wishes that we had, take, he, we had taken up the state, or he wished that we had taken up the States Act instead because you know, he thought dealing with anything that involved race was, was divisive. Um, so you know, there's going to be concessions that have to be made on, on all sides here. Um, and, I, and I think that I think that what the Democrats did was set this up so that the MORE Act is the starting point, but I doubt that it's the, it's the end point here.
2: So it's funny that you say that, Chris, because when I think about what you said about Matt Gates and the equity piece, um, I almost look at it as like, this is an opportunity for him to show support of uh, social justice equity provisions, but it's in an industry that he's not interested in being in. So it's like, oh yeah, you guys go ahead and, and do that. Yeah, that's where, you know, I supported this from an equity perspective. See, I am a good guy. No, he doesn't like Um, this stuff.
3: He doesn't, he does not, he does not, he thinks it's race baiting. He, he, he's, he's, he, he is not, he's not gonna, he doesn't need to show his constituents in Florida, in in his heavily conservative district in Florida that he... Cares about black people. Um, it's it's quite the opposite, actually. I mean, he he's better off politically, and his his calculus will be that he's he's really better off politically, um, you know, opposing these provisions, even if he's gonna if he's gonna gonna support the, the the law as a whole.
2: Well, and there goes all my optimism out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) All right. We still have some work to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and I would say, I would say, Ben, I don't know about you, but I think I could see safe banking getting plopped into the next uh, COVID relief bill because I do think there's probably going to be something coming up. Uh, And that's another opportunity, you know, as we're talking about working together and mending fences and all the things that Joe Biden's coming in and really standing for, that this... Keeping safe banking in the next COVID relief bill is an opportunity to agree with something that if you're not part of the industry, it doesn't really matter to you. Uh so you know, the fact that Mitch McConnell is is doesn't will likely not have the same, what he says will not have the same value about uh making fun of having it in the bill. Um, I think that there's a great chance that we might get that. Yeah, we might. What do you think?
3: This gets a little complicated though, because uh, you know, I'm not sure that the COVID relief bill, as a standalone, will pass with Mitch McConnell being obstructionist, right? Because it would need 60 votes, and I'm not sure that you get 60 votes uh, in the next in in the next year for a new COVID relief bill, or at least that you can get it that quickly, um, uh, because you know we know how Mitch McConnell operates as minority leader right? He's going to object to everything. He's going to say, look, we already did COVID relief. We don't need this extra $2,000. And so he probably will support a filibuster, which would mean you need 60 votes to get it done. So I think more than likely, the way that you get COVID relief done is through budget reconciliation, Um, right? I mean, all of the major things that the Democrats want to pass uh, are likely going to have to go through reconciliation if they're eligible, and I, the my, and I actually don't know the answer to this question, but I don't know if safe banking would qualify for reconciliation because it doesn't have a tax impact, right? And anything reconciliation is all supposed to have to deal with taxing and tax tax and spending. Um, so it's it's a good question, but I, I, if if they can get the COVID relief package done through budget reconciliation, I think. You're right that well, they, I know that they can get COVID relief done through 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 reconciliation. The question is whether banking could be a part of it um, because of the reconciliation rules. If it can, then I think you're right. Then I think it will be, um, or it likely will be. Um, if not, then then it, you probably have to get it done as a standalone. Which there, you know, there's a possibility we can do that now. So if if we don't get to s-
1: sneak these measures into other bills, like and we were to go back and revise the more act to kind of be, you know, appropriate and get passed through both the house and the Senate, as if it were going into law, like what would we expect that timeline to look like? And I know that's a really tough question, but like, I mean, you guys have been advocating in the industry for, for years. Like if you had to put a, a a number on it, how how long do you suspect that might take? (laughs)
3: I don't think, I mean, I, I'd be really loath to guess. Um, I, I think it's whenever whenever budget reconciliation happens. Like that's <laughs> when, realistically, yeah. like that's when almost anything the Democrats want to get done is going to have to happen in that one bill um, or happen as part of the budget reconciliation process. Uh, standalones are going to be really hard to pass. I mean, if you remember back to the Obama years, standalones didn't pass even when they had you know, even when the Democrats had had you know had control of, of both houses, they got some done in, in the first year. But if you recall, during Obama's first two years, the Democrats had like 58 seats in the Senate, um, so they they only needed to get a you know get a couple of Republicans to come on board with them in order to in order to beat a filibuster. That's not the case anymore. Um, so, like, I do think that safe banking might be able to pass and potentially even survive a filibuster, it's possible that it doesn't get filibustered. Um, I'm not sure that McConnell would like put his foot down on that one um, because so many members of his caucus support it, Um, but broader reform might have to happen through reconciliation and so that's probably the timeline we're looking at outside of that it's just it's just really hard to say I don't think it's one of the first things that the Democrats try and do um, they do have there you know, there are some pretty big things happening in the country um, you know the first thing that the Senate might be dealing with is an impeachment trial of Donald Trump even after he's out of office um, uh, that, that's that actually might that might be what we're looking at here is one of the first things that happens during a, during the democratic-controlled Senate is the you know impeach if, if the house does impeach Trump next week which it looks like is a is a real possibility um, Mitch McConnell's not going to call a hold a trial in the in the Senate for the, you know in in the in the week of Trump's remaining term, um, and Chuck Schumer doesn't become a, a majority leader until I think the probably around the twenty second somewhere around there. I think that's the final date that Georgia has to to certify uh, the election results. Um, so those those senators don't get seated until then, um, and so it's quite possible that you know, the Senate session starts or the democratic controlled Senate session starts. And, um, the first thing that Schumer's looking at is a, is a trial to impeach a president who's no longer president. Um, and then they got to get to, you know, to COVID relief and, um, you know, dealing with the economy and stimulus and, and, uh, and, and the, you know, rolling out the vaccines and everything else. There's a lot that this Congress is going to have to do. So I don't think, I don't think this is a first hundred days or a first, you know, probably even a first six months type issue, unless, we're talking about something comprehensive getting put into reconciliation.
1: Right. Well, you, you, so you bring up an interesting topic, uh, that, that makes me start thinking. It's like, uh, you know, Trump's future, uh, post-presidency. And, and we recently saw, uh, Biden announce his, his pick for, for attorney general, uh, Merrick Garland, uh, the the chief uh, judge of the U S court of appeals in Washington, DC, um, was former President uh, Barack Obama's choice for a Supreme Court seat in 2016. But, uh, you know, the nomination was thwarted by the Senate Republicans, uh, who refused to grant him any hearing for the high court. And and I know, uh, you know, judges aren't supposed to be spiteful. (laughs) But if I'm coming back in as Attorney General, um, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't want to be on his bad side, per se. Um, I don't know if we need to dive into Trump. That's probably for, for, for another podcast, but, um, you know, Garland's position on cannabis is, is somewhat unknown. Um, though in the past, he has given pretty fair consideration, uh, towards the, the science of cannabis. Um, what are your guys thoughts on, on, on this pick? Like, how does this influence, um, what we may or may not be able to get done in, in the near future? And in, in general, what, what is the, you know, for for the listener's sake, and my own, um, you know, what is the influence of the attorney general on, on the industry?
2: Well, I would love to jump in first and then Chris can explain to me why I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, a, I think that's, I think that'd be perfect as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, <laughs> so I actually see uh, an opportunity with Garland uh, that might be one of the actually first things that we see when it comes to cannabis policy. And that's maybe an updated version of the Cole memo memo, or even just put the Cole memo back. Like the, even that, to me, I feel like that that could be a first 100 days uh, activity. I think it'd be great for you know a new up-and-coming staff member to take a stab at uh, drafting and putting that in front of Garland. So if we have any new up-and-coming staff members in Garland's staff, I think you guys should spend some time taking a stab at what you think an updated coal memo should look like. I'd like to throw it to Chris and ask him, what do you think an updated col memo should look like?
3: It's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I think it, I think it should, I don't know. I actually don't know if it can go much farther than the original Col memo. Um, but you know, something saying, well, it can add adult use. Well, yes, it could add adult use. Um I mean it could be explicit about adult use. Um and I think that's the that's probably as far as it can go. I mean, the Cole Memo basically was an instruction to US attorneys to you know to use their prosecutorial discretion and not go after um state legal cannabis businesses. That's probably the best that we can get, um uh, sort of unilaterally out of the Justice Department. Um uh, although I, I don't really know. I mean it's a it's a good question. Um, it's possible we're looking at. I guess this would be called the Monaco uh, memo. Uh, Lisa Monaco <laughs> is going to be the deputy, the new deputy attorney general. Uh, my understanding is she's she's quite progressive. Um, I have no idea where she stands on cannabis, uh, but I think in, in general, my understanding is she's fairly she's fairly progressive. Um I mean, it was Deputy Attorney General James Cole that that did the last memo. Um, that's typically where these come from. So I think something you know instructing them that this is not a good use of prosecutorial resources. Um, would be terrific. Uh, uh, I think something, you know, go- going directly to the banking industry, um, which was all, we also had a similar memo before that could be much stronger worded saying that we will not go after banks that do business with state legal, with state legal businesses. You could, you could, you could expand that to other uh, businesses, other financial services businesses. Um, you could expand that even to, you know, to, to uh, you know, stock exchanges. Um, uh, so there, there's a lot that they could do. Um, I will say though I'm I'm skeptical about Merrick Garland in this pick. I mean, I'll say from a you know from a purely sort of karmic standpoint, I think it's an awesome pick. Um, you know, to do this on the day that the Republicans officially lost control of the Senate, that Mitch McConnell officially lost control of the Senate, and to then put up put him up as a nominee that Mitch McConnell can't stop uh, after preventing him from having had a hearing uh, as as you know uh, for for Supreme Court justice. Um, I think that's I think that's an awesome you know, troll job by Biden to, to <laughs> McConnell, um, to kind of kick McConnell while he's down. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Garland's pretty conservative for, for a Democrat. Um, his record as an appel- an appellate court judge, um, on criminal justice issues is not good at all. Um, he's been known to be very prosecutor friendly. Um, he, is he, not, he's rarely ruled on the side of criminal defendants, Um, we don't know much about him on cannabis in general, although the only thing we really know about him from from cannabis is, is something that, that Ben, you referred to earlier with him sort of, which has been, has been taken two different ways, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, there is one take that, that says that, well, he's, he said he wants to defer to the science on cannabis, but he did it in the context of deferring to the DEA. Um, You know, this was this was in the context of the of of a of a rescheduling petition that was that was brought by Americans for Safe Access, where he and this wasn't in a ruling. This was in a question during the oral arguments. Basically, said that something to the effect of, you know, we judges are not scientists. You shouldn't. Isn't this something that should be left up to scientists who understand? The, you know, understand the science of this. We judges are not scientists, but you are to, saying this to the DEA's lawyer. The, the DEA aren't fucking scientists. Like, they're cops. <laughs> nor <are> the lawyers. <laughs> right. Nor are the Nor are any of these people. Like, and so for him to for him to basically defer to the DEA's judgment on something like rescheduling. To me, that's much more of a red flag than it is something to be happy about. I think if there is a, a silver lining here, it's that his. His deputy attorney general and associate attorney general, Vanita Gupta, like these are civil rights attorneys um, who probably do have a much, much more progressive view on this. Um, and so I, I think that the the Justice Department is probably going to be staffed with people who are pretty good on this issue. But at the very top, I mean, I, I was really hoping that we would see. You know, one of these younger progressive district attorneys who really care about this right like a, a you know a, a Kim Fox from uh, from from Illinois or a Marilyn Mosby from Baltimore um, you know one of these district attorneys who said like I'm not going to prosecute cannabis cases in my in my jurisdiction you know and 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 what a and what a you know what a missed opportunity for Biden to not appoint a black woman to the top, criminal justice position on a day when black women essentially delivered him the U S Senate. Um, so I think, you know, I think it was a missed opportunity politically. Um, and I think unfortunately it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a missed opportunity for us as a cannabis industry to get somebody in there who really, really gets this issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how does this play? So earlier last month, uh, it was announced that Javier Becerra, uh, would be leading the, the, uh, health and human services, um, department, and they are involved in kind of, um, working with the DEA to determine the classification, uh, in some fashion. Are, are you aware of that, that interplay? And, in, and in, I mean, Javier Becerra is, is a little bit more forthcoming in his support of, of cannabis. And, uh, I think it was a, a generally positive indicator for us last month. And so if we pair these two together, you know, is that going to help the case if, if it does keep the control of scheduling with the DEA?
3: Uh, I, I don't think that HHS has that much influence on the DEA specifically. DOJ is much, much more important here. And I'm, and I'm also, I mean, look, but has actually been pretty good on this issue is my understanding, but he's also a prosecutor. Like I didn't get that pick at all. I, I I, I, don't, I don't understand why you put a prosecutor in charge of health and human services at a time when we're in a global pandemic. Like, why not put a doctor um, or somebody with a real public health background in charge of it? Like, HHS is the agency that's got to oversee the rollout of the vaccine by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, choosing a prosecutor in the middle of this seemed tone deaf to me. Um, and unfortunately, it's reflective of the fact that I think... That you know, Biden has always been a prosecutor's guy. He's always been on the side of the police and the prosecutors, right? Like that's been his mo for a long time. It's why he was so terrible on on drug policy for so long in the Senate. Um, and it actually it concerns me a little bit. Not Becerra in particular, because again, he is he's not bad on cannabis. Um, is my understanding he's actually pretty good, but he doesn't seem like the right fit for HHS. That said, when cannabis issues come before HHS, and if we do ultimately end up looking at descheduling or rescheduling, right? Like a lot of the agencies that are going to oversee implementation of federal legalization and federal descheduling will fall under HHS. Um, hmm. And so in that respect, um, I think it's, it's, he's, he's less important from a getting rescheduling or descheduling done, um, a, much more important on what comes after that. That's going to largely fall on his shoulders. And having somebody there who is progressive on this issue uh, or good on this issue is, is going to it, it should be a good thing for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and he's actually quoted as saying, so just as we allow alcohol to be sold – Uh, We've come into the 21st century and announced that it's better to regulate marijuana than criminalize it Which you know for me. It's like okay now. He's drawing a connection between alcohol and marijuana (laughs) Um, And then he goes on to say that Mm -hmm. the federal government has to catch up and get into the 21st century first Uh, Secondly, we have to make sure the federal government is helping us not hindering us when it comes to uh, coming up with a good way to regulate it, right? So his mind's already there. And this was back in 2017 in California. So, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, (laughs) uh, Biden's affinity for, for these prosecutors. Like, I mean, look, look who's standing right by his side. (laughs) This is just another prosecutor.
3: (laughs) Right. They're all over. And even Kamala Harris, like she's good on this, but she also, you know, she's a prosecutor. Uh, a prosecutor. Merrick Garland was a prosecutor before he, before he became a judge. There's a lot of, and to be fair, like that's, that's also somewhat normal. Um, I mean, prosecutor, you know, being a prosecutor, being a district attorney or U.S. attorney is like the biggest stepping stone to to higher elected office. Um, uh, So it's not it's not unusual, but this strikes me as somewhat tone deaf at a time when criminal justice reform and police reform, uh, drug policy reform have been at the at the forefront of uh, our political discourse and the minds of so many Americans and particularly the constituency that got Biden elected and that delivered him the Senate. I would have liked to have seen more picks here, particularly for something like attorney general that, you know, that would have been reflective of that and, uh, been a, you know, a nod to the, you know, a nod to the, the, the groups that got him here.
2: I think, uh, I know, uh, playing a more, you know, to me, it feels very moderate, right? Every, all of his choices thus far have felt very moderate compared to the progressive picks that we would rather see. Uh, So I think, you know, also, you know, Biden's playing a long game. He is playing to Republicans who maybe have soured on Trump um, or or continue to sour on Trump. You know, he's got to play to that, and I think putting people with prosecutorial backgrounds in place, particularly, like, let's be real, these are his people. This is, you know, he, he gets... That mindset—it's—it's um, it's how he lived his whole life. Yeah. yeah so it doesn't surprise is. me. I think the this picks he that is. he yeah. are, is are making when it comes to those people are people who have said, "I'm willing to look at new facts. I'm willing to change course when I real, you know, we were wrong about." about the war on drugs. you know. So I think of somebody like Garland and I think about those remarks that he made. Those were back in 2012. And I feel like cannabis wasn't, the nuances of cannabis, of, of the impacts on social justice, of the business impacts. You know, for someone like him in 2012, my guess is that cannabis has really only been thought of as a criminal. Issue And none of the science was ever taken into consideration. So it doesn't surprise me that he backed away or said, I'm going to rely on the experts. Isn't that what they do? They rely on the experts and a prosecutor. But the DEA is not the experts. The DEA aren't experts on the science of marijuana. in a prosecutor's mind, I would say that they would consider the DEA to be a reliable resource back in 2012 things were just a lot different then maybe mm-hmm. not in chris crane's world who's been living this for decades um and, and you know but when i think about <laughs> maybe we, but we legal, we legalized when i think about where i was like there were plenty of people out but there when i that think about where i was in 2012 i know that i certainly didn't have a sophisticated of an understanding of the different aspects of it and i think that's all we're seeing with garland but we've got plenty of time to find out what really happens
3: Yeah, I hope, I hope you're, I mean, I hope you're right. And, 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 and admittedly, like we just don't know that much about Garland on the cannabis issue. Like that one quote from that one hearing is really all we have to go on. Um, and it was eight years ago and times are nine years ago now, and times have changed. So maybe he's evolved, but his, his, his jurisprudence record on criminal issues in general, criminal justice issues in general, I think give us reason to be concerned, particularly given that, Biden's record on this on, on all this stuff gives us lots of reason to be concerned and him picking somebody with a similar background as his top prosecutor his top cop is not what we want to see right now and does give us I, I, th- I think should give us some some cause for concern about how good the Justice Department's really going to be, be be on this issue going forward.
1: All right, so our just to contextualize all this <laughs> our former best case scenario. Is now our worst case scenario. Our new best case scenario is not as good as it's likely to be. Y'all following me? <laughs> it's, it's all right. So we're we're moderating our expectations, our new expectations of of the incoming uh, changing of the guard, so to speak. Uh, we're gonna take one more quick break uh, and, and hear a, a word from Shay um, and and one of our sponsors. And when we return, finishing moves.
0: We're thankful to have the support of our friends over at All Kind of Portland, Maine, which provides medical patients and soon adult use customers with a wide selection of fine marijuana strains, handcrafted edibles, and all sorts of tinctures, rosins, dabs, honeys, and more. If you live in or around the greater Portland, Maine area, then you owe it to yourself to check out all the buzz about All Kind, which is now offering up delivery and reduced contact curbside pickup. All Kinds' wide array of legal marijuana products can be found over at allkind.buzz. That's allkind.buzz. You can also browse All Kinds' extensive menu on both Leafly and Weedmaps. And if you're not lucky enough to live up here around Portland, Maine, you can still shop All Kinds of CBD products online, which can be shipped to your home anywhere in the U.S. When you think about living the lifted life, you should be thinking all kind. Maine grown, Maine made, enjoyed by all kinds. That's all kind of Portland, Maine. Big thanks for the support that helps us keep the news lights on.
1: back folks uh now it's time for my favorite part of the show finishing moves finishing moves finishing moves is the part of our show uh, where our illustrious guests can talk about anything they wish so heather what do you have for us
2: well ben i'm so thrilled that we have moved into 2021. Despite what's been going on with us politically, uh, I think it's going to be a great year. So my finishing move is to actually remind our listeners uh, about something that's really important if they're in the cannabis industry themselves and are looking for marketing opportunities. So I found out over the Christmas holidays that there are these i racing leagues now Chris knows that I'm a fan of automobile racing. Uh, it's something that I've been, I've grown up with my whole life. Uh, and my younger brother is actually, uh, doing these, I racing leagues where, um, they're basically video game racing leagues, but they are starting to really explode in the number of people that actually watch them. Uh, some people are, are buying memberships just to watch a race. Uh, when you watch it, it actually, they call the race just like you would see on, um, on a a physical racetrack. And I want to let folks know that you guys have opportunities to actually sponsor race cars in iRacing leagues. What I love about it is that these leaks are all over the country. Uh, some of them are local. Some of them are national. So cannabis businesses in different markets can actually, for a very low cost, get their name out there on as sponsoring some of these iRacing cars. So really cool thing. Check it out. I'll have Shay put a link to uh, some information for folks if they want to check it out. And that's my finishing move.
1: Awesome. That was great. I'm going to go check it out. I love, I love racing games. <laughs> uh, I'll
2: put, I'll put you in right. his group and you can check out, uh, the, what, who I love to call not last Sullivan, because my goal is just for him to end up being not last.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I either, I believe it's either first or your last, uh, as someone wants. Absolutely. Said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crane, how about you?
3: So, so for my finishing move today, I want to give a shout out to uh, the someone who's been called the, the godfather of cannabis, Steve D'Angelo. Um, uh, I think all of our listeners are probably familiar with Steve. Many of us who came to the show or have been on the show um, or been through the show sort of have been connected to Steve at some point or another in our careers. Um, you know, Steve founded Harborside Health Center back in 2006. And when Harborside was Harborside started... Back in 06, it, it, I was working at SSDP at the time. Um, it was the model dispensary that everybody in the marijuana reform movement pointed to. Uh, when we got calls from reporters asking, you know, what dispensary can I talk to? You, how can I find out about how? you know, about medical marijuana and how dispensaries operate. Like we all sent him to Harborside. Um, You know, he took a model that was originally pioneered by Berkeley Patients Group of a community focused, uh, you know, service oriented uh, dispensary operations model and took it to an entirely new level. Harborside was the first store in the country that was big and beautiful and well lit with, you know, lots of natural lights and plants and just, and And just just really well run, professionally run, um, and an environment where, you know, Steve knew that if he took members of the state legislature or the Oakland Police Department, or, you know, somebody who at the time was not necessarily inclined to be supportive of legalization, that they would walk through Harborside and come out of there saying, "I'm okay with this." Um, Steve announced the other day that he is formally, uh, stepping down as 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 chairman emeritus from Harborside, and and will no longer have any official role uh, with that company um, and, uh, and I think it really represents the end of an era. Um, you know, Steve's obviously not going anywhere. He's heavily involved with the last prisoner project. He's got, he's involved with a, a number of other, uh, businesses. He wants to focus more on advocacy, which is where he started. I, I knew Steve back when we were both advocates in, in Washington, DC, um, and ran in similar circles back then. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, uh, I think all of us in the industry owe a debt of gratitude to Steve D'Angelo for being the visionary that he is, for being willing to push the envelope at a time when... His his life his very not, not just livelihood, but freedom was at risk in doing so. Like There were a lot of raids of dispensaries back in 2006 um, when Harborside first opened. Um, you know, he was the first Harborside was the first to really take on the federal government. Um, you know, they challenged to it. They, they were the, one of the first to, to, to really challenge 280E when the early Obama administration was sending out uh, uh, forfeiture letters to landlords around the country. And, and uh, then U.S. attorney uh, for the Northern District of California, Melinda Haig, decided to start going after some of them. She went after Harborside and Harborside fought back. And after years and years of fighting, won, um, where almost everybody else failed. Harborside beat the feds, you know, uh, beat back the feds on this issue. As Steve liked to say they fucked with the wrong hippie, uh, <laughs> and you know, look, n- none of us, I think, would be here today. I, I certainly wouldn't. My first job in the industry post SSTP was working at an offshoot of Harborside called Canby, an early consulting business that uh, was well ahead of its time. It was. I think I have the. I, I think I had the the. Uh, dubious distinction of, of, of working for one of the only startup businesses that uh, uh, Steve D'Angelo started businesses that failed. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, from that came, you know, came, came the opportunity to get involved in Forefront. Um, you know, it, it, around that time, Steve started Steep Hill Labs, the first ever uh, testing lab, which, which gave rise to the entire testing industry. Um, I, I told this anecdote uh, on a show recently, but uh, I remember back in, I think it was two thousand. 9 or so 2008 maybe before I went to Harborside I was on a panel with Steve at a conference where I was pushing for rescheduling, and he was adamant that, like, no, we can't, we can't accept rescheduling. It has to be descheduling. And at the time, I was thinking that's, you know, that's a bridge too far. It's not politically possible. And here we are now saying we won't accept rescheduling. It has to be descheduling, right? Steve's been writing a lot of things. He's a true visionary, and his departure from Harborside, I think, is a true end of an era. Um, so, thank you, Steve, if you're listening, for all that you've done for the industry and for paving the way for all of us. And I'm really excited to see uh, where you go from here.
1: Yeah, yeah, Steve D'Angelo. Uh, I, I think he said it best. Like he's got, he's got a lot going on. Harbor sides, but one piece. It's a very notable one. But like, you know, what I knew Steve the most for when first coming in the industry was was Arcview. Um, and his right. involvement there, um, right? The first, inve- how- the
3: first investor network, exactly. Yeah.
1: The first, the first, the first, right? And this is like how much capital came into this industry because of the community that that ArcView built, um, and and, so, and yeah. CBD.
3: I should mention too. I mean, we talk about like built the first real dispensary model, built the uh, started the first testing lab, the first uh, the first investor network, and even CBD. Like I remember being at Harborside in two thousand and ten. And Steve was involved in helping start uh, something called the original Project CBD, um, where you know we were just discovering that CBD was beneficial, uh, you know, had all these health benefits, uh, you know, particularly for 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 you know kids with Javette syndrome, but also just just health benefits in general. And we, because Steve had helped start Steep Hill, we were you know they they were now testing cannabis, and we never knew we never knew the cannabinoid content of anything that was being sold on the on the illicit market or the, the the legal market at the time and so they started they started keeping a binder of all of the test results that they got and i remember looking at that binder in like 2010 and there were only like five strains that they had tested that that tested above 1% cbd and it's because for decades before that cbd had been inadvertently bred out of the cannabis plant because cannabis you know because breeders were breeding it for the you know for for, for the for the most intense high and cbd does you know tend to regulate that high and so it had been basically bred out of the cannabis plant and so so steven harborsite started incentivizing their growers any grower who would come in with high cbd flour would get a premium i think next an year an next year 250 or something per pound um and they would then start making these cuttings available to their best growers um making sure that their best growers, Their, their be, you know because this was back when you got all your product from uh you know from 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 just, just random growers, right? There was no, there were no mm-hmm. licensed grows back in 06, 07, um, you know, even, even 2010, 2011 in California, there were no licensed growers. Um, so it was all these caregiver grows, right? They started, he started basically just giving away uh, CBD clones to the growers that were their best suppliers and then incentivizing them with higher payments, even though there wasn't really a market for it. Right and and talking about this is going to be the next thing, right? This is this is the this is one of the most important things to come out of cannabis, and now like you can't walk into a gas station without seeing signs for CBD everywhere. Um, so again, just <laughs> just in terms of that, that that vision, I don't think there's anybody else in the industry that has, ha- that has been as visionary and seen where the next trend is going like like Steve has.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I know this sounds a lot like a, a tribute to Steve. It almost sounds like he's retiring from. Everything, but like I'm really excited for him to be stepping away from Harborside right now because, as we talked about throughout this episode, is there is so much uh, momentous opportunity for us over the next couple of years and for someone to know what is best for this industry and to know that we needed descheduling back when everyone was talking rescheduling, right? So, him being at the forefront and being at lobby days and and having the time to dedicate to what is next for this industry. Uh, I can only hope that he, he, he puts his weight behind that because, um, you know, as we move forward, we need to do this right. This is our chance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think I'll just double down on that for, for, for my, my finishing move, you know, it's, um, you know, in, in the spirit of Steve. And, and I think it's something that he's, you know, he's, he's been a savvy business person, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think anyone can argue. It's been about access to cannabis, getting people out of jail. You know, it's um, keep that at the forefront. All the people that are frothing at the mouth to get into the industry or or see those, you know, ten percent gains, twenty percent gains in, in one week. Um, at the end of the day, it's about uh, getting the medicine in, in the patient's hands and and destigmatizing the plant and and doing all all that hard work. So keep fighting the good fight, Steve and everyone else out there. (sighs) How about a round of applause for our amazing hosts, uh, Heather, (laughs) Chris, thank you so much. Happy New Year to
3: you guys. Happy New Year. Again, it feels like like that was a year ago already like we, like, <laughs> we should all we should all be gearing up for 2022 uh <laughs> right
2: Look, i, I want to be in 2021 for a little while i'm excited about some of the things that we've got going in the industry in the movement and actually some things we've got going right here on marijuana today so i think 2020 is going to be a banner year all the way around and i'm glad that i've got you two fellas keeping me in line uh, here's some more good times (laughs) in 2021
1: yes yes yeah and thank you to shay uh for bringing us together uh their team for uh all their production work that makes us all sound so darn good of course uh overclock remix for the amazing tunes thank you to all of our sponsors for their generosity and keeping our mics and lights on and of course thank you our awesome listeners Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes so that other cannabis nerds can tune in and and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana Nation, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, from a distance, of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have a healthy marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One
2: take.